Well, welcome to the show. This is the Environmental Justice Report with me, your producer and host, Janine Moloff. Well, today we're taught, there's, there's been so many things in the news recently, I really had a hard time trying to decide what I wanted to talk about today. I mean, there was the story that broke, oh gosh, about 24 hours ago, where this Exxon lobbyist in D.C., I think his name is Keith Floyd, he was talking to what he thought was a headhunter looking for another job possibly, and he was bragging about how uh, basically he had, you know, quite a few U.S. senators, especially a certain group of 11 senators, on the hook, if you will, well, kind of, in other words, implying that these were senators that took bribes. And the list was really embarrassing. You know, there were predictable ones like, you know, Republican uh, Marco Rubio, uh, but you also had people like um, the president's best friend, Chris Coons, he's a Democrat. You had Maggie Hassan, another Democrat, Mark Kelly, another Democrat. I guess there were more Democrats because they're in power right now. And, oh, yeah, Kirsten Cinema, of course, and Joe Manchin headed the list. Well, we're going to talk about that towards the end of the show. And like I said, this, that ran actually on the Young Turks uh, today. So that little story, you know, the mainstream media is trying to cover it up. It's still leaking out. And this lobbyist for Exxon, this Keith McCoy, like I said, he thought he was talking to a headhunter. In actuality, he was talking to basically somebody from Greenpeace who secretly recorded or videotaped him. Um, it is really something to watch. It's on Yahoo News. You can check it out. Uh, you can check it out on the Young Turks. It is quite obvious and, and pretty blatant. Anyway, let's get on with today's story. I was going to do that. I thought, no, I already prepared something. So today we're going to talk about the fossil fuel industry. So it's related, okay? And the idea is let's stop these taxpayer subsidies to the fossil fuel industry. Now, this week, days before Independence Day, over 500 groups converged in Washington, D.C. to demand that the president stop end these historic taxpayer subsidies of the fossil fuel industry. Now, many of us didn't even realize until very recently that our tax dollars had been subsidizing the very industry that, well, is destroying the planet, namely fossil fuels. But that came out during the uh, climate change summit in in Europe and, you know, groups like Extinction Rebellion brought that to the forefront and God bless them. So anyway, today's episode, we're going to discuss this very long history. It's like 90 years has been going on, almost a, almost a century of this nonstop taxpayer bailout of the oil, gas, and coal industries. And yeah, we're going to name some names. Both Democrats and Republicans are guilty on this one. Okay, we'll also discuss what this subsidy money could have bought and still could buy instead of dirty fossil fuel. So let's get started. All right. Whoops, I kind of got a little stuck there. So first of all, we're looking at this piece that ran in Forbes. Okay, now it's a couple of years old. It ran in 2019, but it talks about these taxpayer subsidies to the fossil fuel industry. It's written by James Ellsmore. And the headline that ran in June of 2019 is, quote, headline, United States spends 10 times more on fossil fuel subsidies than education. You've got to repeat that again. Here in the United States, United States spends 
10 times more on fossil fuel subsidies than education. That's pitiful. So basically, uh, this writer, Ellsmore, first mentioned how there was in 2019 an international monetary fund study that demonstrated that the United States um, that the United States had basically invested 5.2 trillion, no, yeah, U.S. dollars that was spent globally. Let me say this again. This one's a little weird, all right? Quote, a new international monetary fund study, in other words, in 2019, shows that USD, U.S. dollars, 5.2 trillion was spent globally on fossil fuel subsidies in 2017. And that's the equivalent of over 6.5% of global gross domestic product in that year. It also represents a half trillion dollar increase since 2015, uh, where China topped the list. They, China was the largest subsidizer to the fossil fuel industry at 1.4 trillion. The United States came in second at 649 billion, and Russia came in third at 551 billion. Now. Even though you have uh, these nations that are saying they're going, to, they're going to pledge to reduce carbon emissions, all right, and they're going to go to renewables, especially under the Paris Agreement, the International Monetary Fund of all groups um, really found their findings just exposed how the fossil fuel industry keeps receiving enormous amounts of taxpayer funding. Um, and the report again, done by the International Monetary Fund, that's just so ironic, uh, further explained that fossil fuels account for, they said, 85% of all global subsidies and that they remain largely attached to domestic policy, end quote. 85% of all global subsidies. They go on, this writer goes on to say that if all these nations had reduced the subsidies they send to fossil fuel, um, back in 2015 that the IMF, the International Monetary Fund, um, suspected that it, quote, would have lowered global carbon emissions by 28% and fossil fuel air pollution deaths by 46% and increased government, government revenue by 3.8% of gross domestic product. Okay? So, and this study from the International Monetary Fund did also include what are called negative externalities. Um, and those, those are negative consequences that fossil fuels cause, but that taxpayers and society wind up paying for. And that, those are costs that are not reflected in the initial cost estimation or in the actual cost. Um, so, you know, they go on to say, besides these direct transfers of government, in other words, taxpayer money, to fossil fuel companies, there are also some un indirect causes, such costs such as pollution, um, increased health costs, because again, the climate change, especially the air pollution, is causing all sorts of respiratory illnesses that might not have occurred, and climate change adaptation. So when the IMF, when the International Monetary Fund included those numbers, then the true, what they call, quote, the true cost of fossil fuel use to society is reflected, end quote. And you know, I, I just, it's, it's hard for me to imagine that the International Monetary Fund came up with an honest report, but apparently they did. Go figure. So nations are continuing to support the fossil fuel industry. Um, 
especially it's really evident in the energy policies of the United States and Australia both rely heavily on fossil fuels. Um, the largest subsidizer of fossil fuels, China, has actually looked to create, to have more efficient uh, use of fossil fuels, and but they also spend record amounts on it. Um, and, and here's the, the thing that the politicians don't want you to know. What they found basically is this. As the price that is, you know, connected to fossil fuel power continues to increase, okay? In other words, the cost of fossil fuel increases to consumers, people like you and me. The price of renewable energy, according to this writer, has has really gone down, has plummeted, as uh, documented by James, let's see, uh, Jamel S. Moore in Forbes. Now, besides the International Monetary Fund report, the International Renewable Energy Agency also released its own study, uh, and that was in 2016, and they examined how renewable energy has grown during that same period of time while these fossil fuel subsidies have remained intact. Um, and they noted that uh, the overall cost of wind power generation has dropped 23% since 2010, and solar electricity saw a decrease of 73%. So, you know, when you look at that, when you see that renewable energy is becoming cheaper and fossil fuels are becoming more expensive, then why I have subsidies for fossil fuels actually increase? And the International Monetary Fund study um, identified, quote, more than just direct subsidies to the fossil fuel industries, but also the cost on society, public health, and climate change that are caused by the coal, petroleum, and natural gas sectors, end quote. So basically, the fossil fuel lobby has worked really hard in multiple countries to protect those taxpayer subsidies. That, that's free money for them. Um, sometimes it's in the form of, you know, an actual monetary transfer. Sometimes it's tax breaks. Um, and they, of course, that industry wants to make sure the carbon taxes do not happen. They, they're about protecting the profits. Now, this is also, while renewable energy, excuse me, has also created more competition in the overall energy market, uh, the cost effectiveness of fossil fuel subsidies goes down too. So there's a guy named Simon Buckle, and he's the head of climate change, biodiversity, and water division at the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development. And Simon Buckle explained, quote, subsidies tend to stay in the system and they can become very costly as the cost of new technologies fall. Cost reductions like this were not envisionable even 10 years ago. They have transformed the situation and many renewables are now cost competitive in different locations with coal, end quote. So, and Buckle's analysis of how these fossil fuel uh, subsidies are really the opposite of being efficient. They're, they're not efficient at all uh, when he looked at what the United States has spent. Um, you know, the U.S. spent some $649 billion on these subsidies in 2015, and that's more than our defense budget and 10 times the federal spending for education. And that's pretty damning right there, um, especially the part about education. So, 
And then there was another study, a recent study, again, uh, let's see, that it basically showed that approximately 80% of the United States, quote, could in principle be powered by renewables. Okay, end quote. So that means fossil fuel subsidies, why are we doing that? Okay, well, we know why. Okay, you only turn into the young, tune into the Young Turks and some other groups to find that, okay, we're footing the bill for these fossil fuel subsidies because corruption reigns supreme in Washington, D.C., period. That, that is it in a nutshell. We have basically members of Congress that are open to taking what they call campaign contributions, but let's call them what they are. They, they are the bribes. Okay, and this has to stop. But again, the IMF leader criticized these subsidies. Uh, the International Monetary Fund leader, Christine Lagarde, uh, basically noted that the investments through these subsidies into fossil fuels could have been spent elsewhere and had a much better impact. Uh, to quote Christine Lagarde, she said, quote, there would be more public spending available to build hospitals, to build roads, to build schools, and to support education and health for the people. We believe that removing fossil fuel subsidies is the right way to go, end quote. Keep in mind, we're still in the middle of a pandemic. There was virtually no public health resources whatsoever. Can you imagine how that money, if it had been transferred from fossil fuel subsidies to public health, can you imagine how much good that could have done, how many lives it could have saved? But it's very apparent that both Democrats and Republicans in D.C. don't care about that. So, you know, again, this is about domestic policies. Um, and it looks like renewable energy is going to basically overtake fossil fuels. It's going to become cheaper and cheaper. And, you know, it's really, they're saying that it's going to be the energy source of the future, regardless of whether subsidies are paid for coal, petroleum, and natural gas. Okay? So let's look at another one. This is from Mother Jones. It's a history of fossil fuel subsidies, again, from 2014. If I'm going back a ways, it's because there were some good pieces written both during the Obama administration and the Trump administration, and they were basically ignored. Okay? So, and we don't see that much of that coming from the mainstream media right now. Okay, so here we go. Um, this is a piece. It's really a history written by Alex Park, Andy Kroll, Dave Gilson, and Benji Hansen Bundy. The headline is A Brief History of Big Tax Breaks for Oil Companies. Um, there will be subsidies nine decades later, perhaps the most glaring loophole in the tax code is still going strong. Okay. So this is from 2014, but again, they're talking about at that point, the federal government pumped more than $470 billion into the oil and gas industry in terms of these tax breaks. That's one of the forms of subsidy that never expire. Think, think about that. These tax breaks never expire. The, the fossil fuel industry gets an easy path that goes on forever. Why? Well, this started out because basically 
back when the when the petroleum industry was starting, it was considered a big risk. So back in 1916, um, there was a new tax provision that allowed oil companies to write off what they call dry holes and and all what they call quote intangible drilling cost end quote during that first year where they're trying to drill. Um, and you know back then it made sense. All right, it was a new industry. Nobody knew the damage it would cause, and so. All right, seemed like a legitimate tax write-off. In 1926, Congress approved what they called a depletion allowance. That lets the petroleum industry deduct more than 25% of their gross revenues. Um, you know, again, it's still new. 1937, um, Treasury Secretary Henry Morgenthau in 1937 called this same depletion allowance, quote, perhaps most glaring loophole in the tax code, okay? FDR was trying to get Congress to get rid of it and to also close, not only close the depletion allowance for the petroleum industry, but other ta what they call tax evasion methods, quote, so widespread and so amazing, both in their boldness and their ingenuity, that further action without delay seems imperative. And that was quoting FDR, and it's very true. 1947, it goes on. Uh, believe it or not, the first experiment with fracking, hydraulic fraction, fracturing, happened in 1947 in Kansas. Okay, 1950, President Truman um, does try to get Congress to end the depletion allowance. It's unsuccessful, doesn't happen. In 1957, President Eisenhower was asked about the same depletion allowance that, again, fossil fuel received. Eisenhower's reply was, quote, I am not prepared to say it is evil because while we do find, I assume, that a number of rich men take advantage of it unfairly, there must certainly be an incentive in this country if we are going to continue the exploration for gas and oil that is so important to our economy, end quote. In other words, Eisenhower called it a necessary evil. He knew it was crooked, but what could he do? 1960, presidential candidates were, you know, Richard Nixon was running against John F. Kennedy, Kennedy won. One of the Nixon-Kennedy debates, they debated the depletion allowance. And Kennedy said he was willing to review and close the loophole. Uh, Nixon said, quote, I favor the present depletion allowance. I favor it not because I want to make a lot of oilmen rich, but because I want to make America rich, end quote. 1969, Congress cuts the depletion allowance deduction from 27.5% to 23%. Okay. The president of Gulf Oil wasn't wasn't happy about it, but they did it. Um, but they were able to keep the tax break. They just were only able to reduce it a little bit. And President Nixon at the time said the tax breaks in the national interest. 1974, you have the OPEC oil embargo, the energy crisis, and you know Nixon, you know. Tricky Dick says he's going to do everything in his power to prevent big oil and other energy producers from making, quote, an unconscionable profit out of this crisis, end quote. What nonsense. Um, President Ford, who took over after him, created the Energy Research and Development Administration to basically supervise energy research and development. Um, and over the five years after that, federal spending on fossil fuel research um, jumped tenfold. 1975, Ford almost vetoed a tax bill 
that repealed the depletion allowance for large companies, but then he signed it. Um, the depletion allowance did remain in place for smaller independent drillers. And it goes on, okay. Um, the 1970s, Jimmy Carter, um, Jimmy Carter praised Senator Russell Long of Louisiana, which is oil rich, for voting to, quote, do away with the oil depletion allowance, which was a very courageous thing to do, and he was right. 1978, Carter signed a gas guzzler tax. Um, 1979, Carter installed solar panels in the White House. Um, a lot of people were very irate by the, about that at the time, and then Ronald Reagan removed them in 1986. What a tantrum. Um, and it goes on, okay, in 19, I'm skipping ahead here. Um, in 1985, Reagan looked at federal tax breaks. Oil and gas was one of the few industries that was not touched from what they called the showdown at Gucci Gulch. Okay. Um, 1990, George H.W. Bush, in other words, George Sr., doubled the gas guzzler tax, but he also uh, created a new tax credit for retrofitting oil wells that were already in existence so they could increase production. And he also expanded the tax credit for unconventional oil production and loosened the depletion allowance. No shock there. Um, 1992 Energy Policy Act created tax credits for renewable energy production. Okay, that was nice. 1995, Bill Clinton signed the Deepwater Royalty Relief Act. Don't you love these names of these goofy laws? What that did is it let oil companies drill in federal waters and they didn't have to pay any royalties. So the taxpayer got ripped off again. Thanks, Bill. And it cost us billions in lost revenue. 01, George W. claimed a 733 depletion allowance on their income taxes. I don't know what that means. Um, 2005, George W. Bush, um, he, you know, he was saying how they don't need incentives to oil and gas companies to explore, but then a few months later, he signed the Energy Policy Act, which expanded the depletion allowance. So it applied to far more drillers. And it also allowed companies to write off any exploration cost over two years instead of one. So it doubled that up. All of these things tear at our tax base. Everybody's talking about infrastructure now, right now. How are we going to afford it? Well, newsflash people, taxes are what, are what finance infrastructure. And every time one of these presidents in Congress increases a, a way for a big corporate to evade taxes, it basically tears at our in, ability to maintain or build new infrastructure. No mystery there. Now, in 06, Representative John Larson, a Democrat from Connecticut, introduced the Oil Subsidy Elimination Act. It would have ended most of big oil's tax breaks, but it never got out of committee. Shocking. I know, I'm being sarcastic. 07, Illinois Senator Barack Obama introduced the Oil Sex uh, Act, which is a subsidy elimination for new strategies on energy. That's what SENS stands for. So the Oil Sense Act, the Sense stands for Subsidy Elimination for New Strategies in Energy. Basically, it would repeal, get rid of the depletion allowance, 
and it wouldn't get rid of royalty free leases on you know on federal property like in the Gulf of Mexico, but it would suspend it. Okay, should get rid of it, but suspending is better than nothing. The bill died in committee, and it was a democratically controlled Senate Finance Committee where it died. Okay. There was a House bill also that would have expanded tax credits for renewable energy. That also died. In 08, um, uh, let's skip ahead. In 09, Obama's stimulus package uh, contained $90 billion for energy efficiency and renewable energy projects, including wind and solar, fuel cells, and electric vehicles. 2010, the Simpson-Bowles Deficit Reduction Plan um, did propose to modify or eliminate all the tax expenditures and raise the gas tax by 15 cents. Um, and then former Fed Chairman Alan Greenspan suggested that, quote, oil and gas depletion allowances could be restructured as direct subsidies. Yeah. Greenspan should rot in hell for that one. It goes on, okay, in 2011, 2012, 2013. Um, this is what's going on. Okay, so now there's another article in Mother Jones from 2014, again written by the same group. Thing called Triumph of the Drill, How Big Oil Clings to Billions in Government Giveaways. Okay. Uh, and it also says deficit hawks slam them. Execs say they don't need them. So why does petroleum still get big tax breaks? Well, we know why. Okay. It's called corruption. It's called bribery. It's called graft. Okay. Uh, it's corruption that is so overt, so blatant, that it would make the early proponents of Tammany Hall blush, seriously. So this team, uh, again, Gilson, Bundy, Kroll, and Park, um, you know, again, they go into this a little more, so they talk about how um, these never expiring tax breaks for the oil and gas industry, uh, you know, initially started, it was supposed to help struggling drillers but now they become a bonus for the world's most profitable companies. And it's at our expense. As I said before, at the expense of other infrastructure needs, you know, such as like Medicare for All, funding the public schools, conducting the maintenance needed on the power grid and communication grid that privatizes or shirk. All these things could be dealt with if we, in large part, if we didn't let these, the, the fossil fuel industry have this free money, in essence. So this, again, was written 14. At that point, they say the taxpayers were subsidizing the fossil fuel industry by as much as $4.8 billion a year. Half of that in 2014 went to the big five oil companies, ExxonMobil, Shell, Chevron, BP, and ConocoPhillips. Okay. <clears throat> so... There's been, you know, people were asking the question, all right, oil prices in 14 were topping $100 a barrel, not now, but then they were, um, you know, the expanded interest and realization that climate change, let's, it's not global warming, let's call it what it is, global climate destruction, because that's what it is, the devastation. And so there's been a push to close these, these tax loopholes, but big oil's not going to let go you know, of these breaks, okay? There will be subsidies. So here are some of the tax breaks that fossil fuel gets. 
they get to write off drilling expenses, okay? And that was initially the first thing. And we talked about earlier in 1916, you know, the idea that you could expense intangible drilling costs because, again, they might have hit a dry hole. There's no way of knowing, so it compensated them. But they say now rarely do oil companies hit dry holes, okay? They've got too many ways to actually find, you know, the fossil fuel. It's not so much of a gamble anymore. But even so, according to this article in 2014, oil companies can, quote, expense 70% of their drilling costs and depreciate the rest. Let me say that again. This was written in 2014, and then oil companies could write off their taxes as expenses 70% of the drilling cost. That's one. And then the remaining 30% of those costs just depreciated. So they get almost on 100% tax break on those functions. And the annual cost to taxpayers for that alone, $700 million to $3.5 billion, just for that alone. The depletion allowance. Okay, again, 90 years ago, these depletion allowances made sense. That is no longer the case. Now, under this allowance, an oil producer can deduct 15%, originally it was 27.5%, of any gross income from a well. And instead of, unlike normal depreciation, normal depreciation has a time limit when you can no longer depreciate that value. Okay, that deduction goes away. But this deduction can be claimed indefinitely. Must be nice. The estimated annual cost to taxpayers as of 2014, $612 million to $1.1 billion just for that alone. Okay. Domestic manufacturing deduction. This was in 2004. This was created. Um, the excuse was to prevent jobs from being shipped overseas. So Congress provided this tax break for manufacturers, you know, here in the United States. Now, keep in mind, most U.S. oil jobs aren't really outsourced anyway because the oil, the oil is either in Alaska or uh, a well in Alaska or Texas or a refinery in Louisiana. That's not going to be sent to China, Okay. The annual cost to taxpayers for that one item, $574 million. Cash flow. Why Washington won't touch those oil subsidies, part one. Okay? This tells the story. Fossil fuel companies and their employees, whatever you want to call it, they put, as of 2014, more than $357 million into federal candidates' campaigns since 1990. And... Of every $5, four of the five goes to Republicans. Um, but they've spent more on lobbying. Uh, more than 1.5, I'm sorry, more than 1.4 billion in the past 15 years. <clears throat> Just in 2013, the industry had 796 lobbyists, and approximately 60% of them were ex-members of Congress or staffers from ex-members of Congress. Again, that revolving door using those contacts, getting that insider information. Now, in 2014, Senator Sherrod Brown did call this out. God bless him, Democrat from Ohio. Sherrod Brown said, quote, it's a pretty damn good investment. Um, you know, if you're thinking about taking on oil companies, be ready for that kind of onslaught, okay? And so he tied the 
industry's perks, you know, I'm, I'm sorry, Sherrod Brown has tried to put an end to these unfair subsidies, but, you know, outside groups um, with some with oil industry connections spent $23.5 million to defeat Senator Sherrod Brown in 2012. Okay. Absolutely obscene. Then you've got, again, you can't talk about dishonesty and political corruption without talking about Citizens United. The power of the fossil fuel industry has become a monster since then. Okay, oil and gas executives can put unlimited money, a lot of times anonymously into races, because guess what? It's dark money. All right, and just just this week, the Supreme Court said, guess what? We don't have the right to know who those dark money supporters are. Okay. In 2012, Chevron gave $2.5 million to the Congressional Leadership Fund. And that's a super PAC, which is a super PAC that's supposed to expand the Republican majority in the House. Okay. There are oil-backed dark money groups in addition to that. There's the American Petroleum Institute. There's the American Energy Alliance and the Chamber of Commerce. Okay. Um, they spent, according to this article, tens of millions on ads attacking Obama's energy policies. So again, I'm aware this is an older article, but it has a lot of good information, which still holds true. Okay. So this is what we're dealing with, okay? And this has been going on for a long time. Um, part of this article, there's a sub a subtitle uh, that says called the Beverly Drill Billies. And it talks about how Elizabeth Taylor and James Dean, they were filming the film, they were making the film Giant, which is um, basically about the uh, oil industry. And, um, you know, basically what they say here, there's a 1959 newspaper article um, that there were explained, there were some Hollywood stars in the 40s and 50s that tried to use the oil industry, I guess, as a tax shelter. Um, quote, Jimmy Stewart, Bing Crosby, and Bob Hope take their salary and invest it immediately in oil. If oil is hit, cost of drilling is deducted and 27.5% depletion is taken off the top with no taxes. If the well is dry, cost of drilling is deducted before taxes. This is called, called drilling with tax money, end quote. So this movie giant, which was about the oil industry, um, the depletion allowance was described as, quote, the best thing to hit Texas since we whooped Geronimo, end quote. So Elizabeth Taylor, God bless her, said, how about an exemption for depreciation of first-class brains, Senator? I love it. I love that mouth. Um, but what happened was screenwriter Ivan Moffat said that the oil interest pressured uh, studio head Jack Warner to kill Taylor's line, Okay. Uh, I don't know if that was actually in the script or if she decided to just do it off the top of her head, but it was funny. Um, so let's go down a little further here. Um, you know, we've got a theory here. John F. Kennedy, may, you know, was talking about ending the depletion allowance during the campaign. His running mate, um, Lyndon Johnson, was unhappy about that. Um, apparently there was a story where an LBJ staffer handed uh, the president's brother, Bobby Kennedy, this allegedly neutral sounding statement on the tax, bre tax break for President Kennedy to read. 
Bobby toured into shreds. Um, unfortunately, President Kennedy was assassinated before he could take action. You can assume what you like from that. I'm not even going to go there. Here's another part of the article. It says presidents come and go, and there's some truth to it, okay? Um, you have to remember this, these giveaways have existed for 90 years now. Uh, and what they're happening is that these are, these are expenditures in the tax code. So the government's not giving these, these, the fossil fuel industry too much money directly, but it's losing money that it would, would, that has the right to collect from them. Okay? This is another example of how big money has evaded taxes through allowances in the tax code that basically are depriving us of basic infrastructure, okay? And so in order to protect these tax breaks, the oil industry doesn't have to really convince these politicians to actually do anything. They just have to convince them just let it alone. Don't do anything, just let it stay. Um, and so, you know, there's, well, there was a quote here, um, Autumn Hanna, who's an analyst for, at Taxpayers for Common Sense, you know, explained that, you know, when, quote, when you get into the weeds with it, it's tax policy. Who's excited and interested in tax policy, end quote? All of us should be. That's the problem. Like, the tax system should not be so complex, right? It should be pretty open and easy to figure out and easy to see who's paying what, but then the very rich couldn't hide what they have. So, you know, again, between industry officials, environmentalists, and other interested parties, they say the best way to get rid of these tax breaks is just deal with the entire tax structure. Okay. I don't know if that's really going to happen. Okay. So we're going to scroll down here now. All right. And we're going to talk about what we can do here. Okay, let's talk about, for instance, when we talk about 4.8 billion that was lost, and this is back in 2014. It's more now. Back then, the 4.8 billion in tax breaks that basically are gifted to the fossil fuel industry, it's not a lot of money for them, really. They're just that greedy and that rich. But what could it buy the rest of us if we didn't allow this type of tax evasion from the fossil fuel industry? Well, quite a bit, actually. Some of the things that that $4.8 billion in tax break, and that's probably the low end, could buy, one, it could guarantee loans for renewable energy projects, like solar, for instance, and that could generate approximately $24 billion in private sector investment and quote as much as 475 billion in economic activity. I'm just reading straight from this right now. Number two, quote, it could fund a 17-fold increase in the budget of the Department of Energy's Advanced Research Projects Agency, which supports cutting-edge energy research and development, end quote. It could also, quote, hire 109,000 workers to manufacture and install clean power generators retrofit buildings, and do other green jobs. Quote, it could also be used for, quote, a green retrofit of 1.9 million homes, decreasing their energy use up to 30%. Number five, 
quote, it could expand federal lending authority for high efficiency auto projects like Tesla Motors by nearly 20%. Six, it could increase Department of Energy spending on developing solar technology by more than 1,500%. It could increase spending on fuel cell research by 4,500%. That is big, folks. Number seven, it could install between 1,200 and 1,600 two megawatt wind turbines enough to power 620,000 homes. And number eight, it could quintuple the Army Corps of Engineers' budget for flood and storm damage reduction and shore protection need to cope with threats from climate change, end quote. That's a lot, okay? I could add more to it, okay? Close the loopholes, we could fund Medicare for all. We could fund public health which we saw we don't have during in the middle of the COVID pandemic. We lost over 600,000 Americans because we don't have public health departments in this country. It was like the Wild West and still is. This article also explains how our taxes fund have funded the fracking boom. Didn't know that, did you? Okay. In the 1970s. Presidents Nixon and Ford <coughs> started this, okay? Department of Energy oversaw the first large-scale demonstration of fracking to produce shale gas. Uh, it funded the development of new drilling techniques for reaching these hard-to-tap deposits, which now have been actually linked to these allegedly unexplainable nonstop earthquakes. Well, of course you have earthquakes. You're fracturing the ground underneath, what do you think an earthquake is? It's when parts of the ground actually shift. Of course it's gonna cause earthquakes. And I'm not a geologist and I don't need to be for that. Okay, so, uh, you know, Carrie Engelder, who is a Penn State University geosciences professor and an expert on shale gas explained that this investment in fracking didn't happen overnight, didn't happen right away. Quote, this really took 20 to 30 to 40 years before it really worked. In terms of solar, it's going to be the same. Okay, I don't know if I agree with them on that. All right, so now they're talking about what would happen if we just ditched the fossil fuel subsidies, if these tax breaks were cut off. Now, the industry has claimed that gas prices would just jump up astronomically and domestic oil production would go to new lows. The entire economy would be devastated, okay? Um, when Democrats targeted those subsidies in 2011, uh, Continental Resources CEO and Mitt Romney mega donor Harold Hamm said it would, quote, kill thousands of American jobs, end quote. And Mitch McConnell said, quote, raising taxes on American energy production will increase the price of gas. Oh, and it would also make us even more dependent on foreign sources of oil, end quote. Yeah. Sorry, Mitch, not true. Check the data. Data says something else. There's been some research by economist Stephen Brown. And what economist Stephen Brown found was the average American would spend a whopping extra 60 cents a year on petroleum products if Congress got rid of most of the tax perks, the fossil fuel subsidies. 
don't know about you, Mitch, I, I think I can afford 60 cents, you know, a, a year. I mean, maybe you can. I mean, I can, I can mail you a check for 60 cents, you know, since you're salivating over it. Okay. I'm being sarcastic, but again, they were busted. Even the American Petroleum Institute, uh, even a tax expert from the American Petroleum Institute said that if you ended this fossil fuel subsidy, these tax breaks, that, quote, it would not affect the global economics underpinning oil supply and demand, which explained today's gasoline prices, end quote. Again, proven that Mitch McConnell's a liar. Treasury Department's chief economist in 09, Alan Kruger, told Congress, that if you cut these oil and gas subsidies, that domestic production would shrink horribly. Okay, well, actually, I take that back. He said they would shrink domestic production by a whopping less than 0.5%, and it really wouldn't affect how much petroleum we actually import. Uh, he also said the oil company's costs would increase a whopping 2%. There would be some job loss but the, the industry would be more efficient without, you know, sucking at the public teat, all right? And an added benefit, you're protecting the planet because you're cutting consumption of fossil fuel. The International Energy Agency um, said that governments around the world spent $523 billion subsidizing fossil fuel consumption in 2011, and if you cut that, it would cut – it would cut consumption and global CO2 emissions would probably go down by 6% by 2035. And it would free up some money. And that free up money could do the following. It could address environmental costs of fossil fuels. In other words, fix the damage that they created. It could mitigate the effects of climate change. And it could remove, quote, what the IEA calls a handbrake, slowing the development of clean energy. So the International Energy Agency is calling this fossil fuel subsidy a handbrake. It, he, they're basically attributing this subsidy to really handicapping renewables, which it does. Okay. So, and there were quite a few um, sources here for this particular article of Center for American Progress, Congressional Budget Office, Center for Responsibility, Responsive Politics, um, Energy Information Administration. So now we're talking about something from Greenpeace, some quick facts about fossil fuel subsidies. Okay, and this was written this year. Our government gives away this year some 20 billion with a B in public money to fossil fuel. And, you know, there's, first they ask a question, okay, what are fossil fuel subsidies? They say it's the following. Quote, a fossil fuel subsidy is any policy that rigs the game in favor of oil, gas, or coal compared to other energy sources, end quote. And that they say these policies usually come in one of three particular ways. It could be a tax break. Uh, it could come in the form of a low-interest loan from the government. Or it could come in the form of the failure to account for the true cost, the human cost, and the planetary cost of fossil fuel pollution. And, you know, again, they mention how basically for decades, for 90 years, this subsidy has been in existence and it doesn't need to be anymore. Um, so the direct subsidies to the fossil fuel industry total around $20 billion every year. 
$15 billion, according to Greenpeace, from the feds. The indirect subsidies, those are policies that aren't targeting fossil fuel corporations, but it still benefits fossil fuel corporations. Those total, get this, you should sit down, a whopping $649 billion, with a B, per year. So those indirect subsidies, these policies that don't directly name fossil fuel, but they benefit fossil fuel corporations, total some $649 billion, with a B, per year. Okay, this is outrageous. So they give three reasons to end fossil fuel subsidies. First of all, number one, they say, quote, fossil fuel companies are responsible for the climate crisis. And it's true, they are. In fact, there was a big expose done by The Guardian where they have the evidence to show that like big tobacco, the fossil fuel industry lied for decades. They knew much earlier than they admitted the damage that their product was doing to the planet. And like execs from Big Tobacco, they lied and withheld that evidence. That's criminal as far as I'm concerned. Those responsible should face criminal charges and mandatory jail time. So, and they say, you know, if we plant, you know, people think, oh, we'll plant a million trees and everything will be fine. You can plant a trillion trees. It's not going to mitigate what's happening now. Whatever we do to try and benefit planting trees, whatever, it has to be hand-in-hand hand with cutting consumption and having renewable energy, period. That's it. You know, according to this, they say that coal, oil, and gas, fossil fuels that are used for heat, electricity, and transportation are the single largest, largest contributor to the climate crisis, period. And that's according to the EPA. And they also say this year that just 50 fossil fuel companies um, basically account for, quote, half of global industrial greenhouse gas emissions, okay? Even in the middle of this climate crisis, oil and gas corporations are still planning new drilling projects. Why? Do you think they would still be planning these drilling projects if they didn't have these subsidies? Of course not. That's just it. These fossil fuel industry is the ultimate welfare mama. Okay? And these subsidies reduce operating expenses, but they also, according to Greenpeace, pass on the very real cost of pollution and the accompanying illnesses on to consumers. And they also point out that fossil fuel production would become very unprofitable if these subsidies were dropped, which would basically clear the way for renewables. Okay? So, Point number two, why we need to end these subsidies. Fossil fuel pollution is racism in action, and it is, okay? Um, basically, when we're poisoning the air and water from this product, the nearby communities that suffer the worst effects tend to be disproportionately black, brown, indigenous, and poor, period. That's it, okay? Uh, according to this article, quote, ending fossil fuel racism means transitioning from an extractive economy to one that puts people and the planet first, okay? These companies dump on poor commu communities of color and low-income communities, and there's no guesswork here. It is done with premeditation. We've talked about it too many times on this show. And point number three, fossil fuel companies are blocking climate solutions. You think, okay, why are they doing that? According to this, between 2000 and 2016, um, 
Fossil fuel industry spent nearly $2 billion to derail or end any sort of meaningful climate legislation. Why would they do that? Because they want every penny of profit. These people are the ultimate hoarders. They make King Midas look like a piker. Okay? And if you end fossil fuel subsidies, guess what? That industry now has to be competitive. Right now they don't have to be. You know, the fossil fuel industry is like the overage adolescent who has a brand new car and an, an expensive apartment that mommy and daddy are paying the bills for. That's what this is about. And these companies have a stranglehold on our democracy. So cutting the subsidies and, you know, cutting means cutting their power. So what can we do? There are some things we can do. Okay. We can pressure the Biden administration and Congress and call them on their bluff and eliminate fossil fuel subsidies for good. And if they won't do that, I'll go further than what Greenpeace said. And I would suggest that we sue these fossil fuel, the fossil fuel industry, which is already happening. And there's a big expose again from the Guardian on that one. Um, here's what needs to happen. In order for President Biden to fulfill his mandate to build back fossil-free, okay. number one, quote, eliminate fossil fuel subsidies in the president's budget request. Two, use his existing presidential authority to get rid of fossil fuel subsidies where he can. And three, publicly pressuring Congress to enact legislation to eliminate fossil fuel subsidies once and for all, end quote. This is not any sort of mystery here. Okay. Now, the next article is from an advocacy group called Generation 180. They're calling out fossil fuel subsidies as an absurdity, which it is. Okay. Um, you know, once again, this is, these are tax loopholes and accounting tricks that are costing all of us. All right. Um, and, you know, again, the International Monetary Fund called them out. You also have to point out something else that they pointed out um, with this, uh, this article from Generation 180, something others haven't mentioned yet, and that is how the U.S. military also subsidizes fossil fuel. Uh, apparently, there's an estimated $81 billion that the U.S. military spends to protect oil supplies around the globe, and that's as documented by secureenergy.org. And that involves not only direct military spending on, you know, equipment to protect oil shipping routes, but it also means keeping troops near strategic oil producing locations. Uh, and then you don't even, that doesn't even account for the wars in Afghanistan and Iraq, which were totally illegitimate that had everything to do with fossil fuel. Okay. So... You know, we have to look at this. Um, you eliminate these subsidies, and fossil fuel is no longer that affordable. And better yet, we can spend on actually producing meaningful renewables. Now, one of the things we talk about electric cars like Tesla, I don't need Tesla, and I don't need, um, which is way overpriced, and I don't need self-driving cars. What we need is great mass transit that is, uh, uh, fueled by renewables and high-speed trains, okay, that come frequently. We don't we don't need the age of the individual car anymore. 
ridiculous. Um, but once again, the dirty little secret is that basically fossil, the fossil fuel industry really can't compete as well with these renewables that are becoming more affordable, okay? But this continuous subsidy keeps the fossil fuel industry, not as a life support as they say, it keeps them rolling in the money, okay? And it takes public money from others' uses, such as social spending and funding for cleaner energy options. There's no guesswork here, okay? And we have one more article here, and this is from the op-ed or editorial page of Scientific American. And it's written by Jeffrey Supran, Peter Erickson, Doug Coplow, Michael Lazarus, Peter Newell, Naomi Oreskes, and Harold Van Asselt. And it was written earlier in 2020. And Peter Erickson is a senior scientist at the Stockholm Environment Institute. These are the, the actual authors. Doug Coplow is founder of EarthTrack in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Michael Lazarus is a senior scientist at the Stockholm Environment Institute. Peter Newell is professor of international relations at the University of Sussex in England. And Naomi Oreskes is a professor of his, the history of science at Harvard. So these people know what they're talking about. Okay. And again, they're talking about let's end the fossil fuel subsidies. Now, they mention how during the 2020 election cycle, all 26 or 30 of the Democratic presidential candidates all said they want to eliminate fossil fuel subsidies, okay? Even international financial institutions like the World Bank and the International Monetary Fund, which are no friends of the little guy, have pointed to the, the idea that, yes, we need to end these subsidies. So the mainstream media took, but this article goes on, these, these writers say, um, they point out that the mainstream media took the word, though, of a small group of researchers and didn't analyze this disagreement. They mentioned how in 2018 there was a small group of researchers who questioned whether, whether subsidy reform is necessary. You know, would it really benefit the climate? And they had some simulations, and they showed that basically reforming the subsidies for fossil fuel would just have limited to practically no effect on, on the climate at all. And so the mainstream media basically started asking whether the fossil fuel subsidies are really such a big deal. That's convenient. And the writers just plain out say, we think this is wrong. And I agree with them. So they pointed to um, a paper they wrote in the journal Nature, and they explained how that 2018 study um, the emissions reductions from subsidy removal were calculated by the researchers to be 500 million to two billion. Okay, anyway, um, it wasn't a small amount. It was about 500 million to two billion metric tons of carbon dioxide by 2030 per year by 2030. And they say, quote, this figure is by no means small. They go on to say, quote, it amounts to roughly one quarter of the energy-related emissions reductions pledged by all the countries participating in the, in the Paris Agreement, end quote. And they go on to say, quote, hundreds of millions of metric tons of CO2 reductions is nothing to sneeze at, particularly when it can be achieved by a single policy approach that also brings strong fiscal, environmental, and health benefits. Okay? So they call this out, all right? Again, the small group of researchers wrote a very flawed study, and so this group, Went together and in Nature published how basically no, 
ending, ending the fossil fuel subsidies would create a great deal of benefit, okay? Um, so I'm going to kind of skip ahead here. Well, here, they, they did an analysis, and they showed how a federal tax break uh, for U.S. oil producers to deduct from their taxes most of the cost of constructing and drilling new wells um, is something that they looked at, and they saw that really the conventional models that these private industry likes, um, you know, showed that the subsidies are kind of distributed equally across all oil fields, but that's not the case, these people said. They said actually governments target new rather than existing capital investments. So basically um, most of that goes to the newer, the newer oil wells. Um, so the result is it lowers the producer's upfront cash flow requirements, which basically causes them to drill new more, more new wells than they ordinarily would. And so, you know, they go on to say, quote, we estimate that true emissions reductions from eliminating this tax break subsidy could be more than an order of magnitude greater than was predicted using the conventional modeling approach, end quote. And they said that's just one subsidy that they were describing. So they're basically showing how the conventional approach to studying this is wrong. And they, you know, the conventional approach omits important facts. Okay. They also talked about a separate peer-reviewed analysis um, that they did in 2017 that showed that without some dozen key subsidies, quote, nearly half of U.S. future oil production could be unprofitable at $50 per barrel oil price at the level at which prices may hover in a low-carbon future. Uh, end quote. So, you know, once again, um, the subsidies are keeping this industry going when it needs to change, okay? So they also talked about another paper that was published in February in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences, USA. Um, they said that experts studying the social tipping points for climate stabilization concluded that, quote, Redirecting national subsidy programs to renewables or removing the subsidies for fossil fuel technologies are the tipping interventions that are needed for the takeoff and diffusion of fossil fuel-free energy systems. It's basically saying we can't fix this unless we end these fossil fuel subsidies to start with, period. No guesswork here. Um, you know, and so at the end of this, I'm just going to read this last few sentences. Quote, the public and policymakers should be under no illusions about their basic realities at stake. Holding back catastrophic global warming requires dramatically reducing fossil fuel production, and subsidies to fossil fuel companies undermine that goal. Once upon a time, it made sense for countries to support their fossil fuel industries, but that time is over, end quote. And they're very right. So they were really delousing what some of these conventional studies were omitting that made the fossil fuel industry look benign when it is clearly very malignant, okay? So like I said, there were 500 groups rallying on Capitol Hill, demanding an end to fossil fuel, um, fossil fuel uh, subsidies, and um, you know, the, the actual uh, protesters were joined by um, Representative Nunez Berrigan, Democrat California, Earl Blumenauer, Democrat Oregon, Ro Khanna, Democrat California, 
and Elon Omar, Democrat, Minnesota. Um, and, you know, Ross was quoted as saying, quote, for over 100 years, fossil fuel corporations have cashed in on tax cuts and other shameless giveaways. Leaving these gimmicks on the books would be a monumental failure of climate leadership, end quote. And the organizations had a letter to Speaker Pelosi and Senate Majority Leader Schumer calling for, quote, the elimination of fossil fuel subsidies and other giveaways in any infrastructure, economic recovery, and or reconciliation legislative package, end quote. Okay. So it goes on and on and on. And I'm sure that some of these people, you know, were arrested. Okay. Um, we've got a lot more here. And so other supporters of this event and the letter to Schumer and Pelosi included the following organizations, 350.org, yay, the Climate Mobilization, um, the Democratic National Committee, Council, I'm sorry, the Democratic National Committee Council on the Environment and Climate Crisis, Earth Justice, Food and Water Watch, Ginny Collective, Indivisible, Natural Resources Defense Council, uh, Action Fund, National Resources Defense Council, Action Fund, sorry, Oil Change International, Oxfam America, Public Citizen, Sierra Club, and the Sunrise Movement. Okay? So, you know, Basically, uh, Sujasa Bergen, senior advisor to the NRDC Action Fund, was quoted saying, quote, using taxpayer money and government resources to support the burning of fossil fuels is helping industry harm us. It is well past time to end taxpayer support for these wasteful and outdated technologies that are so destructive to communities and nature. Okay, so these fossil fuel subsidies rally uh, followed a series of actions by the Sunrise Movement, which is youth-led. Um, this was on Monday, actually, and there were arrests outside the White House. Um, and I, I do find it truly outrageous. Keep in mind, white supremacists and neo-Nazis attacked the Capitol last January 6th. They erected a gallows. They went hunting for humans. They broke and entered. They committed acts of assault and battery. People were killed. They intended to kill more. And they were allowed to just walk out. The police didn't touch them. Now, there was one, one protester, if you will, Ashley Babbitt. She was killed because if she had gotten through that door, um, members of Congress were on the other side. A lot of more other people would have died. Um, but these kids from Sunrise Movement uh, were standing outside the White House and they were just saying no climate, no deal, and they were arrested. Okay, so much for Joe Biden's progressive whatever, or Pelosi's for that matter. Now, as I started out at the beginning of the show, like I said, there was an article and it ran on Yahoo News and it was being discussed on TV with Cenk Uger and Anna Kasparian on the Young Turks. And it involved this, it was a sting operation, okay? There was this, um, he's a, a lobbyist for Exxon. His name is Keith McCoy. And Mr. McCoy thought he was going, thought he was discussing a possible job, um, job offer with a headhunter. In actuality, while he was being videoed, he was talking to someone from Greenpeace. 
And in it, he bragged about how, oh, yeah, you know, we've got senators that we just deal with routinely, all right? He mentioned 11 senators specifically that, quote, he had on the hook. He compared it to fishing, okay? And he was like the fisherman. He brought out the bait, and then he just reeled them in. And these 11 senators were some of the ones he had had on the hook and reeled in. Now, I don't, I don't have all the names in front of me, but among those names, Yes, there were a few Republicans. There were more Democrats, actually, because the Democrats are in power right now, I assume. But, you know, Marco Rubio was one of them, okay? But then there were quite a few Democrats. There was John Tester. There was um, Maggie Hassan. There was Mark Kelly, you know, Gabby Gifford's husband. There was, um, oh, gosh, Chris Coons, who is, President Biden's best friend, okay? And there were some others, but of course, the best one, save for last, Kirsten Sinema, the psychopath herself, and Joe Manchin. In fact, Mr. McCoy said, yeah, he talks to people in Manchin's office, you know, every week. In fact, he said Manchin views himself as a kingmaker. Really, picture this metaphor where... This lobbyist, Keith McCoy, for Exxon, says he's like a fisherman. He sends out the bait, and then he waits, and these senators like fish come in. They take the bait, and he reels them in. He has them on the hook, and he reels them in. Metaphors aside, kind of sounds like he's implying bribery or admitting to offering bribes and that they're being accepted. I would maintain that the 11 senators on that list Democrat and Republican alike, just because of that alone. I mean, this man, you know, they could claim it's his word against theirs. I understand that. But every, every senator mentioned on that list should face an immediate and very, very complete ethics investigation. And while they're under ethics investigation, just like Marjorie Taylor Greene, they should be stripped of their committee assignments. And if they are, for instance, like Joe Manchin, a committee chair stripped of his chairmanship as well until their names are cleared, period. End of story. It's really that simple. So this ties in with all this. When you picture that in your mind, and then you picture these kids from Sunrise, um, what is it here? You know, the, uh, the Sunrise group and Sunrise movement, excuse me, and you compare it to these kids, and those kids are arrested. But the real criminals, the corrupt senators of both parties, corrupt administrations, corrupt public, um, corrupt fossil fuel executives and corrupt fossil fuel lobbyists, and it goes on and on and on, not to mention the insurrectionists of January 6th, they're allowed to go about their business. Okay, don't tell me this government isn't totally corrupt, because it is. And President Biden needs to wake up, and so does Speaker Pelosi. Otherwise, they're going to lose the midterms, and they're going to lose in 24 because they're not doing anything to protect us. Enough's enough. So in conclusion, by now it should be clear the fossil fuel subsidies, which began some 90 years ago, are a remnant of the Gilded Age, which should be immediately aborted. Yes, I went there. There is an abundance of evidence which documents this inconvenient truth 
namely as the fossil fuel industry has been kept on fiscal life support by the taxpayer. These subsidies not only prop up an industry that is no longer competitive and an industry that is destroying the planet, but it also keeps newer, newer renewable energy sources from going mainstream. The avarice of Wall Street has contributed just as heavily to global climate devastation as the deadly fumes coming from fossil fuels. And when you talk about the political class, Democrat and Republican alike, they're just as guilty. They are complicit. Additionally, if we demanded that the money spent on this corporate welfare to the fossil fuel industry actually would be transferred to social spending, we could finance Medicare for all. We could finance public health in the middle of a pandemic. We could finance massive infrastructure investment, and we could provide good jobs for those displaced in the transition. All the things AOC and Bernie Sanders are saying, it's all true. The mainstream, re-corporate media, and I'll call them otherwise known as journalistic stenographers, have been deadly silent on this issue. While they report on wildly dangerous storms and deadly droughts, the issue of fossil fuel subsidies feeding the industry has been shamefully absent. It's time to end the grifting of the ultimate welfare queen, fossil fuels, and equally so, it's time to end the, I'll borrow a phrase, the pandemic corruption of both Democrats and Republicans who have sold out the American people. This has to end. That's it. You know, when we can arrest kids from Sunrise Movement because they have some cardboard signs, but U.S. senators who are close to a series of presidents can get away with basically accepting bribes. It may not be technically a bribe, but it's close enough, okay? Uh, it is an ethics violation. While it may not be technically illegal, it should be, but it's definitely an ethics violation. It means that those senators are compromised, period. The appearance that they have been paid off is too strong. Every single one of them, especially Kirsten Cinnamon and Joe Manchin and Chris Coons, every single one of them must face an open ethics investigation with the public being fully involved, and they are stripped of their committees. They cannot participate in committee, and they cannot. And if they have a, a, a committee chairmanship, they're stripped of that too. That's it. It's long overdue that the political class, Congress people, senators, governors, presidents, all of them, they are held accountable and and follow the same laws as the rest of us. Okay, our democracy, well, what little is left of it is at stake. Period. I wouldn't care if it was Moses himself. If you're doing the wrong thing, you're doing the wrong thing. So we're going to keep talking about this. Uh, we're going to be talking about Mr. McCoy. I'm sure that story will unfold more. And we're going to be talking about quite a few other things. But, again, you can't have justice in any venue, environmental or otherwise, when you have people that have wealth privilege, which is the ultimate privilege. All right? 
the whole idea of justice, of rule of law, isn't that you have these laws with multiple technicalities that let people of wealth get away with whatever. The law is supposed to reflect justice, and justice means equal treatment for all and privilege for none, period. And I would just say, what part of that does Kirsten Cinema and Joe Manchin and Chris Coons not comprehend? So that's our show for tonight. I hope you enjoyed it. Okay. Good night and God bless.